In our passage this morning, Peter is going to ask us to survey the wondrous cross. But before we get to that, let's remember what we heard last week. Peter told us last week that we are in a battle. If we are committed to Jesus Christ, many people will think we're strange. And some people will think we are bad. They will accuse us of doing wrong. That is reality for the Christian. And Peter showed us how we're to respond to that reality. We're to live a life of respect and good deeds. And we're to live a life of respect and good deeds so that people will be one for God. So that even those who accuse us of doing wrong will be impressed by what they see in us and they will join us in worshipping God. In a world that rejects God, we are fighting to be good representatives of God in order to win people to God. That is our battle. It's a glorious task we've been given. But, you know and I know, we don't always see glorious results. We don't regularly have a line of people knocking on our door saying, I've seen your good deeds and I've been won over. I want to live for Jesus too. That's the response we're fighting for and it does happen. But what about the many situations where it doesn't happen? What about the times when instead of being won over by our good deeds, people are provoked to anger and they treat us unfairly? What then? Well, that's what Peter is going to deal with in our passage this morning. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you haven't found that yet, it's page 1218, or in the large print Bibles, 1889. 1 Peter 2, and we're going to read from verse 18 down to the end of the chapter, verse 25. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. In the face of unjust treatment, Peter points us to Jesus Christ, and he calls us to live in his steps and by his power. But before Peter even brings Jesus into the picture, he shows us the mindset we need. The only mindset that will keep us going as Christians. Live for praise from God, not from anyone else. Now we've probably heard something similar to this before. In the context of church, we often say, when you serve in the church, don't do it for human applause. Do it for God. But that is a bit different from what Peter's saying here. Because after all, there is applause to be had in the church. If you do what's right in the church, you're likely to be patted on the back for it. It's easy to get addicted to those pats on the back until that becomes our motivation. But here, Peter is thinking of something very different. Peter is thinking about situations where doing what's right earns us the opposite of applause. It gets a negative response. And he tells us, in those kind of situations, the only way to keep going as a Christian is to live for praise from God. If we have set our hearts on getting human praise, we will either become angry and bitter, or we'll walk away from Christianity. Because the human praise we want isn't coming our way. Look again how Peter puts it in verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 18 begins with the word slaves. Now the best English word for what Peter's talking about would be about halfway between a slave and a servant. But of course, there is no English word for that. So English Bible translations have to use one of those two words. The word servant isn't quite strong enough. Because these people were not free to just resign and leave their situation like a servant could. But at the same time, the word slave is a bit too strong. We're talking about men and women who often worked in a wide variety of jobs. They worked as laborers. They worked as managers. They could be doing very skilled jobs as craftsmen, doctors, nurses, teachers... They were normally paid for what they did, and eventually they could expect to buy or to earn their freedom. They could walk away. 
And that's very different from the kind of slavery we tend to think of from our history here in Britain or slavery in America. And when we realize that, then so long as we keep in mind their legal lack of independence, it's not too much of a stretch to think of employees and employers here. In the passage we looked at last week, we heard about submitting to the government and submitting to local governors. Well, here, Peter brings it right down to our daily work environment. And he says, don't just submit to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Other ways to translate that word would be unjust or crooked or unscrupulous. And what Peter has in mind is, as Christian people, we have been doing what we're called to do. We've been living good lives, we've been doing good, and instead of being commended or praised or applauded for it, we suffer for the good that we've done. Those in authority over us maybe are irritated by our honesty, maybe they're frustrated by our fairness, maybe because our honesty and fairness expose their own dishonesty. And whether the pain they inflict on us is the pain of an actual beating or the pain of being dressed down unfairly or the pain of being frozen out, overlooked for promotion or praise or even relieved of some of our responsibilities, whatever form the pain takes, Peter calls us to bear up under that injustice. He calls us to endure it. Why? What could motivate us to do that? Well, we'll only be able to do it if we're living for praise from God, not anyone else. Peter says it four times in those three verses, verses 18 to 20. In verse 18, we submit in reverent fear of God. In verse 19, we do it because it's commendable. In verse 20, Peter explains that means commendable before God. And back in verse 19, we do it because we are conscious of God. The only way to continue living a life of good deeds is to do it with God's praise in mind. With that as our reward. If you and I allow ourselves to care about anyone else's praise, we'll just give up. We'll give up because many people won't even notice our good deeds and some people will even take offense and punish us for our good deeds. But we can endure that if we are doing good for God. Not just for his sake, but in order to receive his praise. Commendable before God means praiseworthy in God's sight. It means he's pleased with our good deeds. And one day he will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. That is why we can live good lives even when it hurts, even when it costs us. We do it not only because it's right to live this way. We do it because one day our Father in heaven will commend us for it. 
And so we can deal with it when this world doesn't command us. We can put up with being overlooked or even treated unfairly here and now because we know our Father in heaven has not overlooked a thing. He will provide justice in the end. Wayne Grudem says, It is the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, self-pity, or despair. If you or I have done something commendable, one day God will command us for it, even if no one else ever does. And so you and I can let go of bitterness, We can get rid of that chip on our shoulder. We can set aside our anger that people haven't treated us right. Our Father in heaven will treat us right. So we can bear up under the injustice. Instead of giving up under it because we think that our good deeds haven't worked. We can find the courage to keep on doing good knowing it pleases our God. Live for praise from God, not anyone else. And Peter says, in the times when that seems just too hard for us, then we are to follow Christ, our example. Verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In these verses, Peter quotes several times from Isaiah chapter 53. It's a famous Old Testament passage about the suffering servant of God. And Peter's point is that God has not only called us to live for his praise rather than anyone else's praise, he has also provided us with a forerunner. One who has walked this path ahead of us. One who has left footsteps for us to follow. It's very easy to miss what Peter actually says in verse 21. We might expect to read... Christ suffered for you to pay for your sin. That's what we're used to hearing. That's what we mostly sing in our songs. But that is not what Peter says in verse 21. That will come later. Here it says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Peter intentionally uses the word suffered rather than the word died. Why? Because we're to think here of Jesus' whole life. Not just the hours on the cross. Jesus' whole life was a life of obedience to God in the face of opposition and hatred. He did good deeds to please his Father in heaven and to give you and me an example to follow. 
And that is why Jesus didn't retaliate or threaten when people responded to his good deeds by calling him a lawbreaker and a servant of Satan. That's why Jesus didn't lash out when they came with swords and clubs to arrest him like he was leading a rebellion. That's why Jesus was silent when the soldiers stripped him and beat him and spat on him and forced a crown of thorns down into the flesh on his head. That's why Jesus didn't retaliate from the cross. Even when the passers-by sneered at him and mocked him as a God-forsaken fraud. Jesus suffered those things. He endured those things for us. Leaving us an example. An example of bearing up under injustice. Because, verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Literally, he trusted to the one who judges justly. So this is not only saying Jesus trusted himself to God, this includes his enemies. He trusted God to deal with them too. He entrusted the whole situation to God. So you and I are not to think of Jesus like he was some kind of early hippie. Like he was just cool about everything. Like he didn't care what was happening to him. No. The implication is Jesus most certainly did care about the way he was being treated. But rather than retaliate or make threats, he entrusted it all to his father. Confident that his father would deal with it. Jesus was not numb to it all. He was not resigned to injustice. He trusted his father to bring justice. To reward Jesus' faithfulness and to deal with Jesus' enemies. And that, all that, Peter tells us, was to give you and me an example to follow. So we'd have steps to follow when people respond to our good deeds by mocking us and sneering at us or doing worse to us. We're not to lash out. We're not to sit around stroking and nurturing our resentment. But neither are we called to pretend like it doesn't matter. We're called to do what Jesus did. Commit our situation to the one who judges justly. We are to passionately and confidently say to our Father, I give this to your hands. I trust you to give me your commendation at the right time. And I trust you to deal with my oppressors at the right time and in the right way. Are there times when we need to do other things as well? Yes. If illegal things are going on, if other people are being hurt, we're not called to sit back and let others suffer injustice when we could do something about it. There are times when we need to seek human justice now. 
But the focus here is on things that happen to us. Things that may not be illegal, but they are unfair. They are undeserved. And we will be severely tempted in those times to retaliate and to make threats. But in those situations, our calling as Christians is to follow Christ, our example, and trust our vindication to our Father in heaven. Maybe, though, some of us want to object at this point. Maybe we want to say, well, it's all very well telling me to follow Jesus' example, but he's God. Yes, when he came to earth, he took on human flesh. Yes, he really became a man. But still, he never stopped being God, did he? And so how does it help me telling me to follow in his steps? I'm not God. Maybe Jesus could entrust himself to the Father instead of retaliating. But I think that's beyond me. That's an understandable reaction to what we've heard. And I think Peter find it to be an understandable reaction. That is why he doesn't stop at verse 23. Having presented Jesus as the example we're to follow, Peter then shows us how that is even possible for us. He tells us Jesus is so much more than just our example. He calls us, to have confidence in Christ, our enabler. Previously, Peter has spoken about Jesus' suffering in a general way. So we would think not only of the cross, but of all Jesus' suffering. Here, though, in verses 24 and 25, Peter does zoom in on the cross. And he does it because on the cross, Jesus was not only our example... He was also our Savior. On the cross, Jesus wasn't just a good man suffering unjustly. He was the Son of God actively bearing our sins in his body. What does that mean? It means he took your sin and my sin. It was laid on him. He took it all as his own. He had no sin of his own, but he took ours as if it were his own. Then the Father punished Jesus for my sin and your sin. Jesus received all the wrath and the death and the separation from God that our sin deserved. He took it instead of us. And Jesus did that so we could be forgiven, yes, So we could become children of God, welcome in God's presence? Yes. Those are beautiful truths. But they're not all there is to say about why Jesus died. Look what Peter gives here as the reason he died. In verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus died so we could be forgiven and so we could be healed. Healed of our fatal attraction to sin. 
healed of our addiction to sin, healed of our deep commitment to trusting ourselves rather than trusting God. Jesus died so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So that when we suffer for doing good, we would have a new ability to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Without Jesus' work on the cross, we couldn't do that. But his wounds have the power to heal us, not only of the guilt of our sin, but also of the hold our sin has on us. His wounds have the power to free us from our deep self-reliance. Our deep conviction that if we don't fight for ourselves, nobody else is going to fight for us. That's how we used to be. That's how we used to look at the world. And it made us fearful. It made us frantic to stick up for our rights and fight for what we felt we deserve. Peter says, in those days we were like sheep going astray. We were marching in our own direction. We were trying to find the best way for ourselves, just like wandering sheep who haven't really got a clue. But on the cross, Jesus healed us from that. At some point in our lives, he called us through the message of the cross. And as we responded to that good news, we find ourselves not only forgiven, we find ourselves in the care of our risen Savior. In verse 25, Peter calls him the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So Jesus hasn't just called us to a life of righteousness. He didn't even stop at dying so we could have a life of righteousness. He rose to lead us in a life of righteousness. Our crucified Savior is now our living shepherd. He's alive to oversee our situation. He's alive to guide us and supply us with strength so we can live in obedience to God, so we can bear up under the pain of unjust suffering, so we can entrust justice to God instead of lashing out with threats and retaliation or letting bitterness stew away in our heart. Thank God Jesus is not only our example, he is also our enabler. We can follow in his steps because he is with us to help us. We're going to take a moment now, quietly, to bring our own situation to God. I don't know every single one of your situations. I know some of them, but not all of them. Maybe some of us here today are angry because we have been suffering unjustly in one way or another. And maybe we have been retaliating 
are planning to retaliate. So let's take a moment and bring that to God. Let's each of us ask him for the grace to wait for his commendation. Even if we never get it from anyone else. Let's ask him to help us live for righteousness in our situation. Not for human praise. Let's ask him to strengthen our trust in our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. To believe that he really can give us the strength that we need to live for him. Take a moment to do that quietly. Now let's join together and tell our shepherd that we trust him. We'll sing the Lord's my shepherd.